Session 4 Introduction to the Gospels Session 4 Introduction to the Gospels Introduction The 27 books that make up the New Testament are of different literary types. Included among these types are Gospels, Acts, Epistles, and Apocalyptic Literature. The order in which the books appear has nothing to do with the date of their composition. The Gospels appear first because of their telling of the story of Jesus. The term gospel translates from the Greek word euangelion, meaning good news. The term was not a Christian invention, but was often used in the Greco-Roman world to indicate good news of any sort, for example, a military victory. In the New Testament, the term refers to the good news of salvation, Matthew 11.5, Romans 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Corinthians 15.1-2. Mark's story of Jesus begins with the words, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark is clearly referring to good news and not to a literary work. None of what we have in the New Testament was written during the life of Jesus. The earliest writings are those of Paul, with the written Gospels appearing some 30 to 50 years after Jesus' death. Most scholars date the Gospels as follows. Mark, 65-70. through 70. Matthew and Luke, approximately 85 and John around 95. This observation takes us to the topic of oral tradition. The earliest traditions and remembrances about Jesus were oral in nature. Jesus did not take it upon himself to compose sacred texts. In fact, Jesus and the early Christian communities had sacred texts in the scriptures of the Old Testament. Rather, Jesus invested his life in others, particularly a close inner circle of his followers, who would one day through the Spirit's power, carry forth that which he had begun. All this occurred during a time and in a culture in which oral traditions were prized and treasured as a vehicle for preserving and transmitting those occurrences and ideas which were held to be of value for generations to come. Oral traditions relating to the deeds and words of Jesus were abundant. At the close of John's Gospel, it reads, But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them was written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The oral stories about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that were shared through preaching and teaching were passed on in numerous forms. These forms made remembering the sayings and events relating to Jesus' life easier. In spite of the usefulness and widespread usage of oral traditions, the written Gospels were composed. What was the essential content of these Gospels? Why was it necessary to have them? What purpose do they serve? We will now explore these and other issues relating to the Gospels. Introduction to the Gospels The Content of the Gospel Christianity did not arise in response to a book or a set of sacred texts. It arose in response to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. The New Testament witnesses to the living Christ who entered this world, ministered, suffered, died, was resurrected, ascended to the Father, poured out the Holy Spirit on His followers who were left behind, calls all persons to repentance and offers forgiveness, and is coming again. These items compromise the essence of the early Christian kerygma, or proclamation. These items fill out the basic content early Christians preached. In encountering the New Testament, Ewell and Yarbrough, Summarized the kerygma is God's offer of salvation, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, 
and the call to faith in light of the coming judgment. The Apostles' Creed is an example of how the Church eventually summarized the kerygma. It declares, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended to the dead. On the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Form of the Gospels In A.D. 155, Justin Martyr called the Gospels memoirs. Scholars debate how the Gospels should be classified as to their form. It seems the Gospels fit best into the ancient form of biography. If so, however, they are a new subdivision of this form. The Gospels certainly do not meet our expectations for reading the life story of some person of particular interest to us. Modern biographies usually begin with an account of the subject's childhood years and progress consecutively through adolescence and adulthood to show how the mature person has developed in response to the various influences of early life and environment. They are generally very psychological, sociological, or show how particular cultural and historical settings influence the development of the person they are writing about. The Gospels are very different from this. Scholars have looked for some term other than history or biography to characterize the form or genre of the Gospels. Some have suggested eratiologies, Greco-Roman accounts of the life of a Greek hero, who was usually the child of a god and a human virgin. Other scholars prefer the language of theater and refer to the Gospels as dramas, comedies, having a good ending, or tragedies, usually ending in the death of the hero. Some emphasize the use of the Old Testament and characterize the Gospels as midrash, or commentaries on the Old Testament. None of these suggestions account for the majority of the features of a Gospel. Blomberg writes, An increasing number of scholars, therefore, recognize that the list of traits setting the Gospels apart from modern biographies does not distinguish them nearly so much from ancient Greco-Roman biographies, or Greek and Jewish historiography, history writing. Ancient writers were more highly selective, ideological, and artistic in narrating the great events of their day, or the lives of key individuals. There are unique features of the Gospels, to be sure, generally related to the unique events they narrate and the distinctive nature of the person of Jesus of Nazareth. But this makes them no less historical or biographical by the convention of their day. Perhaps it is best, then, to refer to the Gospels as theological biographies. The four Gospels are primarily witnesses to Jesus. Their main emphasis is the last week of Jesus' life. The last week is prefaced by the reports of Jesus' teaching and accounts of a few events from the three years before his death. There is no real discussion of his childhood and adolescence, and especially on how these influenced what he became. The Gospels are testimonies to who Jesus was from the very beginning of his life. Why the Gospels were written the authors of the Gospels were evangelists and were primarily concerned with delivering the message about Jesus to their contemporaries. If oral traditions about Jesus' life and teaching were so effective and useful in evangelism, teaching, encouragement, and worship in the early Christian church, 
being valued as late as the 2nd century AD. Why then were written accounts produced? What led to the recognition of the need for written documents? There is no single answer to this question, but rather a variety of contributing factors. One of the key motivating factors appears to have driven much of what occurred in early Christian communities. One of the key motivating factors that appears to have driven much of what occurred in early Christian communities was the belief in the soon coming of Christ. As the first century progressed, it became increasingly clear that this coming may be longer than expected. In time, a need for written authoritative traditions about Jesus was recognized. As the first century advanced, the original witnesses to the historical Jesus' life and message began to die. There was a need to preserve certain memories and experiences. In addition, these eyewitnesses had to provide a safeguard to the traditions themselves. Written documents proved useful for teaching and evangelism as the church continued to expand throughout the Greco-Roman world. Teachings of Jesus were brought together to respond to questions about who Jesus was and the nature of His ministry. The Nature of the Gospels The Gospels are selective accounts. Incidents in Jesus' life are used as appropriate illustrations to explain theological points. They incorporate incidents heard in the preaching of apostles. For instance, Papias, an early church father, claims Mark's gospel is taken from the preaching of Peter. Some of the details we would like to know, i.e., details of his childhood, what he looked like, are not relevant to winning other people to faith in their Lord, so the gospel writers did not include them. Each story is told for a reason. Generally, we refer to this reason as the theological content or perspective of the writer. To understand the stories, we must always try to relate them to the purpose of the author, evangelist, or to the theology of the author. Each of the evangelists was addressing different audiences that were located in various historical and cultural settings. They were speaking to the distinctive needs of those communities. As such, each author presents a somewhat distinctive picture of Jesus that contributes to our overall understanding of Him. Because the Gospel accounts are selective accounts, we can discover some things about the author and audience by comparing what they have selected as important with the other Gospels, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These three Gospels tell the story of Jesus in roughly the same order and repeat large sections of material found in the others. How do the writers themselves describe what they are doing? Mark 1.1 The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the first stage in the development of the message. This story was an integral and important part of Mark's own experience as a Christian. It was the first stage in the development of the message to which he and others had responded and committed their lives. Luke 1.3-4 Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, the most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke writes so his readers may know the trustworthiness and full implications of the Christian message they had heard so often. John 20, 30-31 Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. John gives us the story of Jesus so we might believe and have life.
Matthew is not so direct in telling us why he is writing. He begins, A record of the genealogy of the Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. A record of the genealogy of the Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 1-1. Later on in this chapter, he says, This is how the birth of Jesus came about. 1-18. His apparent reason is to give a detailed and accurate account of the life of Jesus for a Jewish Christian audience. This brings out the important point that when these Gospels were being written, the eyewitnesses were beginning to die, and the church was exploding in growth. The best way to get the accurate story of Jesus out to the most people was to put it in written form. From Oral Traditions to Written Gospels Granting that the need for written sources was recognized, questions remain concerning the development of the Gospels themselves. Some insights into the process of going from oral traditions to written Gospels derive from the introduction to Luke's Gospel, Luke 1, 1-4, which reads, Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us, by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. In these verses, we see three items in the development of Luke's gospel. First, Luke indicates his reliance upon a body of tradition from those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Verse 2. The exact degree of Luke's dependence on these traditions is uncertain. In any event, It seems certain that eyewitness reports to the words and deeds of Jesus provided a foundation for the stories of Jesus' life and ministry, as found in the Gospels. These traditions were oral in nature and were passed on in different forms—parables, miracle stories, etc. Second, we are made aware of many others whom Luke acknowledges for attempting to fashion or develop a narrative out of the traditions that were available to them. Verse 1. Little is known of these others with one exception. Luke seems to have been aware of the Gospel of Mark as one source. And third, the development of Luke's Gospel involved his own contribution as he investigated everything carefully from the first to provide an orderly account of Jesus' life and ministry. Luke's stated purpose is to provide Theophilus with assurance that the truth he has embraced about Jesus rests on a firm foundation. In doing so, Luke lays claim to authority that is based partly on the work of his predecessors and part on the basis of his own research and understanding. In these three items, we see a reliance on historical traditions from eyewitnesses and servants of the Word, an awareness of others' work in attempting to develop a narrative out of available traditions, and Luke's own treatment of traditions and resources in the composition of his Gospel. The Trustworthiness of the Gospels In considering the trustworthiness of any historical narrative, the issue of sources is extremely important. In our culture, it seems that one after another new or newly discovered portrait of Jesus comes to have much media attention. As these new or rediscovered pictures of Jesus are considered, that issue of sources should always be in our minds. This is a legitimate issue as we come to the Gospels as well. Where did the evangelists get their information? What were their sources? Accounts from living witnesses. Old Testament text, testimonia. 
These are lists of Old Testament passages the Messiah would fulfill when he came. The people of Qumran kept such lists, and so did other Jewish groups. Matthew, John, and Paul use Old Testament quotations extensively. It may be that collecting the passages was one of the earliest literary activities in the Christian church. They were assembled for the convenience of Christian preachers to support their claim that Jesus had fulfilled the Old Testament promises concerning the Messiah. Words of Jesus, Logia These are different collections of sayings of Jesus. They were collected for different purposes and occasions. There were probably several different collections used in different areas of the Roman Empire. We have some later collections such as the Gospel of Thomas, which was written in Egypt in the Coptic language in the 2nd or 3rd century AD. And we have references to other works, which do not exist today, that refer to collections of the sayings of Jesus, such as Papias' Exposition of the Oracles of the Lord. Around AD 130-140, through Papias, the Bishop of Hierapolis, wrote this five-volume book where he says he has compiled the Logia in the Hebrew language. Logia Q. Matthew and Luke have large sections of the teachings of Jesus which are absent from Mark. Matthew and Luke had access to a Logia Mark did not. Scholars call the Logia Q, coming from the German word Quell, which means source. A debate has long been whether Q was an oral or written source. Scholars are divided on this, but many lean toward a written document that circulated among the early Christians. In the fall of 1999, Claremont Graduate University, under the direction of James R. Robinson, published the results of a long-term project in the reconstruction of this collection of sayings. John Kloppenberg has also published results of this reconstruction. These reconstructions are based on comparisons of the teaching materials in the canonical Gospels, Gospel of Thomas, and other literature of the 1st and 2nd centuries. Both Robinson and Kloppenberg believe there was a written document containing the sayings of Jesus that has not yet been discovered. The Significance of Four Gospels Perhaps life would be simpler if we only had one gospel instead of four. Then we would not have to worry about literary relationships and similarities and differences among the gospels. Some attempts were made in the early church to have only one version of the life of Jesus. Attempts were made by such persons as Marcion and Tadian. Tadian attempted to harmonize the Gospels by weaving all four into a harmonious account. His work was known as the Diatessaron. However, all attempts at harmonization failed and never met widespread acceptance in the Church. While recognizing differences in the Gospels, the early Church recognized that each Gospel contributed in a distinctive way to an understanding of Jesus, His life, death, and resurrection. The diverse pictures of Jesus provided by the four Gospels were recognized as a strength rather than a weakness. The wisdom of the Church is evidenced by an examination of the distinctive themes, points of emphasis, and characteristics of the four Gospels. Each makes a major contribution to our picture of Jesus Christ. This will become evident as we survey each of the Gospels. Application Read the following passages. List the key findings about Jesus' life, message, and the significance of that message. What is recurring and what is not covered about the story of Jesus? Acts 10, 34-43 Acts 2, 22-28 Acts 2, 29-36 Acts 3, 17-26 
Acts 4, 8 through 12. Acts 5, 29 through 32. Acts 7, 44 through 53. Acts 13, 21 through 31. Acts 13, 32 through 41. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7. Read Matthew 21, 12 through 13. Mark 11, 15 through 19. Luke 19, 45 through 47. John 2, 13 through 22. Compare and contrast the accounts of Jesus' cleansing of the temple. How do differences in detail contribute to the story?